You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. It happened. It finally <laughs> happened uh, that we got to take Emily out to dinner as a thank you for all of the time she's watched our kids while in town. It was pretty funny because she was explaining to our oldest that she was going to go out and we were going to have a babysitter and our 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 daughter just didn't quite understand. She's like, no, Aunt Emmy's here. She's supposed to stay <laughs> while mom and dad go out. It's, this is, we're breaking protocol here. And, and with your kids, that's just not something you do. <laughs> no, it's, it's pretty funny how they get, they get something in their head and that's the way it's supposed to be. And I think that's true for a lot of kids, but. You'll see, that's where I, I think I had it kind of easy because my kids were so used to crazy single mom schedules that they would have been like, eh, whatever. Okay. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> but yeah, we did get to go, got to go to Benvenuti's and. Yep. It was amazing. Yes, if you're in Norman, come check it out. Go check it out. Um, one of the best restaurants in town. One of the best restaurants in Oklahoma, probably. In Oklahoma, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, fortunately, we had some, uh, Mickey and I had some gift cards, and it was enough to cover the meal, and so that was nice. And the salad I got, what was it? The Carpaccio? Car- Carpaccio, Carpaccio, I'm not sure exactly. Oh, how to say it, but oh my, my. goodness. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it was, yeah. I, I just kept like making obscene noises during the whole time I was yeah, eating so it because it, it was so amazing. And she posted a picture of it on, on our Instagram, so you can check that out. It's delicious. Yeah. And, and like, I love the salad and that was probably the highlight of the meal. But then I uh, got the um, Friedi de Mer, which was a seafood dish with... Mm-hmm. Uh, it had a tomato-based sauce on it, and normally I'm like kind of iffy ordering those out because those can really go bad really quickly as far as flavor profile. Perfect, spot on, mm-hmm. right amount of acid, right amount of sweet, a little bit of heat. I, it was just, yeah, it, it exceeded what I was expecting. And yeah, so it was great stuff. So if you, uh, you know, that could be one of the places that that you go that we could go if. Uh, if you decide to support us on Patreon and visit us in town sometime. Join us in Norman and yeah. get to see how crazy we really are. But yeah, that was... Yeah, come come see us. We, we'd love to go have... We always we always need an excuse for, for good food. Oh, uh, yeah. Sign me up. Because I'm thinking the next time, because we didn't make it to the desserts. The food was so amazing. Oh, and the, the appetizer. What was that again? The, the Fornarina. Oh, my goodness. They bring it out and it just looks like a little lump of dough that's been baked. Yeah. And then you tear into it and... There's the cheese and the truffle oil all come out and and like I, I I'm got the focaccia bread that's served at the table and I'm like getting all the little drips of the cheese and <laughs> olive oil off the board because you don't waste that. I mean it was yeah. So I mean I'm probably not going to need an excuse, but I would appreciate one so I can keep Ty happy. Yeah, and yeah, anytime you can justify <laughs> that kind of expense. Um <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking next time. Okay, appetizer, salad, and dessert. We can do that. I, I'm thinking that's because we didn't even make it to to the desserts because there was just it was so amazing. Everything else was so good. Um, 
But yeah, and Mickey said they had an excellent creme brulee, which is like one of my Achilles heels. And their tiramisu. Oh, dear Lord. I've had their tiramisu. It's ridiculous. I, it, uh, like I didn't like I like I love tira, see, I love a good tiramisu. I would have said and, we needed to sit there for another hour so if we could have settled if I would have realized there was tiramisu. Like I love I love tiramisu, <laughs> but I didn't know that tiramisu would, could be better that much better than it already is. I mean, it's so good. Okay, I like forget the icy streets that we have today. Let's let's just go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic and uh and we're just we're raving because it was good we have no association yeah, with them as far as yeah they're know. not a sponsor um <laughs> but man uh do they they make some good food we just like to talk about stuff that we like well and you know excellence we're we're always fans of excellence and and i think they they did really well and because if you go it's it's a nice restaurant but it's not a stuffy restaurant yeah. our service was great i've never had bad service there it it was a full full package, and so I, I I think that you know the they've done a great job in presenting and in following through with the presentation. Mm-hmm. It's not an empty presentation, so yeah, definitely check it out. Yep. All right. So enough about food, because I know what <laughs> you know what happens when we start talking about food is we just keep talking about food. Yeah, sitting here getting hungrier and hungrier. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, well, I just finished breakfast, so I'm good for a while. But um, yeah. yeah, we should we should get on it. <laughs> so uh, we left off last time um, with several deaths. We had the death of Rebecca, the death of Rebecca Spade, um, uh, Deborah. I'm sorry, the death of Rachel, the death of Rebecca's nursemaid, mm-hmm. and the death of Isaac. Yep. And so we kind of the that era has closed. the The Abrahamic Isaac era is over. Jacob's really moving. I mean, he's already been kind of center stage of his own story anyway. Yeah, for quite a while now. But he is officially now the patriarch of the family. Mm-hmm. And um, then we talked about how chapter 36 was so boring, we weren't going to talk about it, And uh, which is the generations of Esau. And we talked about, we didn't break anything down, but we did talk about it. It was important that it was there. Right. Because they, they are still players in the game and they will continue to be players in the game. Yeah. All the way through the, the Davidic kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. For a little while anyway. Yeah. So. So now we're starting to get into Jacob's sons. So he's got 12 of them. They, they go on to father the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's some twists and turns in here. So they, they, all the sons are main characters for a little while. But from here out, we mainly, the main focus is on Joseph and a little bit on uh, Reuben, Reuben, Judah, and, and Judah. Mm-hmm. Those those are going to be our three, the three main guys the Bible focuses on through the next chapters. Yeah, and really we don't hear a whole lot about the individual stories of any one of them, um, other than these three. But I mean, seriously, you've got to take into account any kind of time you're writing a narrative with twelve leading characters that just. Well, you're going to go with the ones who have done the most interesting things. I mean, like, okay, well, <laughs> here's a fun example from our personal experience. Our uh, grandpa had 11 brothers and sisters, uh, not 11 brothers and 11 sisters, but 11 sibling, siblings. Yeah, he was child number, well, he wasn't child number 12, but there were 12 children. But there, yeah, there were 12 children, and um, there were two sets of twins, mm-hmm. so we always heard about them, and then... Uh, identical twins. Identical twins, yes, two sets of identical twins. 
So, you know, we often heard about things that they did. Uh, and then we often heard about, um, within the twins even more, we heard about uh, Uncle Billy and Uncle Bobby. We are not making this up. Uh-huh. That, that's, that's what their names were. And the girls were Nettie and Betty. That's true. Yes, <laughs> Nettie and Betty. Um, but Billy and Bobby played with all the old Texas country swing bands. Mm-hmm. And so we, got, so we heard about them because they did lots of interesting things. Now we heard, we, now we heard about the, the rest of the family. We interacted with them. We saw them on occasion. It wasn't um, like we were too good to... <laughs> no, no, not at all. But but those are the ones we heard the stories about. So, you know, if you got 12, uh, you know, with our family, we heard, we knew of Grandpa and a lot of his exploits. Uncle um, Bud was un- another one. Uncle Bud. You know, we, we uh, then we heard, we heard the, the more interesting stories and the rest of them, we weren't unappreciated. It's just, this is the, some cool stuff that goes on in our family narrative. Yeah. And I think when you've got large families, I mean, there's always somebody... There's somebody who's out there just making life happen, doing the daily grind, who don't get nearly as much press as they should. Yeah. And, well, and that's true. And But yeah. And now as evidence of our story, just so you know, if you go to Wagner, Oklahoma, you will find a sign that says Wagner, Oklahoma, home of Bob Cobb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he's in the country music, the Oklahoma Country Music Hall of Fame. Yeah. So... He, he's one of our relatives. He's a real person. There's physical evidence that's public. <laughs> I promise Billy and Bobby, true story, twins. Yeah, they were the youngest boys of the family, and Nettie and Betty were the youngest girls of the family. And so uh, and, and the other one we heard about, and we, we've got to throw this in because this kind of helps sum up our family a little bit. We had an Aunt Naoma who had hair down to her knees, mm-hmm. always wore it in a bun, but she was notorious for doing things that you didn't expect. I mean, she looked kind of like the little granny on Looney Tunes yeah, with Tweety like, Bird. And uh, I mean, from the time I was little, she looked like that. So, but she broke her legs, water, broke one leg, water skiing at 65 or something like that. It was the first time she'd ever been water skiing. Uh, the guys in town were like, uh, hey, Aunt Naoma, Grandma, uh, do you want a ride home? And they would offer her a ride on the motorcycle thinking they were joking and she would like jump on it. And so, yeah, so she was an adventurous person. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, well, was it for her 90th birthday? Like the, the one request she had is she wanted to go back to her family home and slide down the banister one last yes. time. <laughs> and uh, I, I can't remember if it was her 90th birthday, but it was something like that. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, and people made it happen. And uh, so, you know, these, these are the stories that get told around a family. <laughs> table and get told to the next generation and the kids get to hear about it. And, and especially now when we go in, going with Joseph, it's early and your child is up early all the time. So mm-hmm. my brain is not functioning yet. Um, <laughs> I'm going to blame the child. Uh, but they, when we, they do get up early and they, <laughs> they don't like anyone else sleeping, you know? They, yeah. I ask the youngest one, is it your job to wake everyone up? Yeah. Yeah. So before sunrise. But anyway, uh, when we get with Jonah, uh, Joseph, uh, he really does have this unique narrative. As a matter of fact, he was even in some of the Talmudic and uh, rabbinic writings, you'll find this discussion that he is actually the prototype for the Nazarene, uh, and, or the Nazarite, not the Nazarene, sorry, the Nazarite, uh, which in Jewish culture is somebody set apart for a specific purpose. Does that have anything to do with Egyptian fashion and the fact that everyone shaved their head, plucked body hair and things like that. I don't know, but that would be interesting to see if there was any interesting kind of carryover. Yeah. Cause 
when uh, probably the first, most famous Nazarite is Samson. Right. And so uh, and when you took a Nazarite vow, you would cut your hair at the beginning of the vow, uh, declare your vow, offer a sacrifice, and then you would abstain from certain things like wine and grapes uh, during this time. Honey. Honey, yes. I'd forgotten about that. And then uh, you let your hair grow the entire length of time it took you to work at fulfilling the vow. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the end of the vow that you would cut your hair. And so this is the reason why Samson, you, the long hair giving him strength is because he was actively pursuing the vow his parents had made for him to at, God. At least in some fashion he mm -hmm. was. Yeah. Now he's going to be fun to get into. His story, it's way too much breakdown today. But it is interesting <laughs> in Acts. And I don't have the uh, exact verse. Paul, when he returns to Jerusalem, goes to the temple and he gets a haircut. And so this has led a lot of scholars to think he had taken a Nazarite vow. Right. Doesn't it say he, because he had fulfilled his vow, doesn't it say that in the text somewhere? I, you know, I don't remember. But I don't I remember it's specific just, on the vow. But. I didn't plan on going off on this, but somehow it just, but I remembered that, that Joseph, I don't even have it in my notes, but I remember Joseph was considered the prototype for this, so... Okay. Uh, and, and it was because he was set apart. Real quick trivia piece on that. Uh, some of the, the writings on the Nazarite vow says that if a woman made a vow in order to be a priest, to serve as a priest in the temple for a year, no one could stop her. That, that's how highly these vows were looked at. Well, you know, and that's, that's very interesting because, the, you know, we tend to look at, uh, you know, the... the Priest, the, the temple system is being exclusive of women, mm -hmm. and they could not uh, break that, break through that, the glass ceiling there. Well, you, but you, it's, but there's no, but you know, in, you know, granted special circumstances, but at the same time, it wasn't completely excluded. Right. And excluded is the right word because um, the text actually, one of the texts actually says that women are excused from service not excluded. Mm -hmm. And so there's a big difference between being excused uh, and mostly it was just due to the things women go through childbirth and the fact they would be unclean during their periods to, to work in the temple. And so for these reasons, they were excused, but not necessarily excluded. So anyway, right. there's your, your free bit of information for the it's week. kind of like being told you don't have to be part of the draft. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> so, but um, so, okay. So Joseph... Man, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. Um, he's a brat. Let's just get that on the table right up front. Uh, he, and I, I guess I'm always pushing back when I see somebody that the church has kind of uh, praised to the point that we've forgotten their faults. Right. And, and that irritates me. I, I like to know that people are valued or understood for who they are. And so... You know, yeah, I know Abraham was kind of a jerk. Joseph is a brat. Jacob, Jacob is messed up seven ways to Sunday. Mm -hmm. And Jacob was a liar. <laughs> yeah. Only one who actually got it right was Isaac. And we don't have anything about him because he's the one doing the daily grind. But, that, but we still, but he's still, he's still apparently screwed some stuff up, but that's fine. Yeah. But I mean, it wasn't enough to make an interesting story. There's only like one instance where it's actually an interesting story. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so. Um, I think most of us know the story because I, this it is the most complete story in Genesis as far as kind of this whole progression. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, for the most part, uh, very kid-friendly. 
uh, unlike some of the other stories that we've told? Uh, uh, to a degree. You know, when we talk about Potiphar's wife, that's not... I mean, yeah, but, uh, that was kind of That easy. one's not really explicit. I mean, we could... But anyway... Let's... I've heard it like, oh, she just wanted to kiss him. And so, you know, they, they take it down for the kids. And, and so you can kind of soften that one. You can't really soften the rape of Dina. Right. So... I, I remember flannel graphs to this one, like, vividly. And, and also, you've got the great Technicolor coat. So, sure, you know, it, it lends itself to that kind of kid-friendly um, illustration. And we really don't know a whole lot about the coat. Uh, that's probably uh, the biggest thing. Okay. Although, Joseph, I don't really want necessarily to plant the idea of being able to sell a sibling to my kids. <laughs> I mean, I know how they are. I love my kids, but would be a... the oldest. Yeah, would. Yeah, we'll we'll fix that. Okay. The oldest would. Uh, yeah, she probably would have sold the younger one by now. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So, um, Jacob, uh, he's got these twelve kids. We already know that you know, he has a favorite wife, and that that favoritism carries over to the sons. Uh, Joseph and Benjamin are full brothers. That's going to be an important part of the story later. Mm -hmm. And But there is this favoritism for Joseph as the oldest one uh, of Rachel's sons. And I really think that Jacob expected Joseph to be the one who, who carried the torch after him. Right. I, I, I don't think he, he expected any of the other sons. You know, he, he'd grown up. You got to remember his story. Uh his uncle had been cast out, uh, Ishmael. Mm -hmm. And so he had displaced, and Jacob himself had displaced his older brothers. Right. So there's no reason in Jacob's mind why Joseph can't step forward. Sure. Well, and, and the, uh, oh, I just went right out of my head. <laughs> and it, even though he wasn't, even though he wasn't the youngest one, uh, he's still called the son of my youth or the, or the son of my old, old age. age or so. mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, he kind of looks at him as the, the next one. Yeah. Because and, it wasn't Benjamin was the youngest, right? Benjamin was the youngest. Benjamin was the only one actually born in the land of Canaan. Now, I, I think it's interesting, you know, he changes his name to son of, son of my right hand. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of wonder, is it like kind of one of those things where uh, he's training Joseph up to try to take over. So he is sending him out to the fields. He is sending him out to oversee how things go, but he keeps Benjamin around as kind of his personal helper and kind of training Benjamin up to be a helper to Joseph later. Uh, you know, th and this is speculation questions that I'm asking. I don't have any. Well, I, I think we see source material. I think we see some evidence of that because um, when they do get to Egypt and Joseph asks them to bring Benjamin back, um, Judah offers this, amazing speech and he says basically their souls are so knit together mm -hmm. that if you took one from the other he will die and the he there is ambiguous so sure. we don't know if it's joseph would die i mean jacob would die or benjamin would die and so it's this idea that the two are almost identical they're almost one person right. because they're so close so i think we do see that uh i think we're it's often pre presented as a reaction to joseph's quote-unquote death um, but there's a good possibility that this could, that could have actually been Jacob's intent from the beginning. Sure. So. No, but that, I mean, like I said, just speculation. I mean, they're in there and there's enough there to speculate in that direction, but there's no, right. we, we don't have any proof. 
And even, you know, the fact that he actually did name this child and he was a little bit invested in Benjamin early on might be, might have actually caused him to be more affectionate from the beginning right. of, jo- of Benjamin's life. So um, we know that Joseph is, um, you know, he's the favorite. Uh, Jacob gives him, uh, the JPS calls it an ornamental tunic. And I like that phrase better <laughs> than the coat of many colors, personally, because, uh, it, you know, it's ambiguous uh, as to what exactly it might have looked like. But whenever you've seen some of those uh, stitching patterns in in some of the Middle Eastern coats, mm-hmm. uh, that's what I think of whenever I think of ornamental tunic versus, versus coat of many colors. Yeah. You know, I think of uh, right now, of course, I think of the the rainbow dash hoodie that my youngest <laughs> wears around um, from My Little Pony. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But but, you know, I, I get a better image of something that's been that's been sewn uh, stitched, stitched. Mm-hmm. stitched with fine ornamentation, kind of like a, uh, almost like a lace lattice work type things. And, you know, that, and, and that very may, well, may be what it was. We actually have some, uh, evidence of from Egyptian tomb paintings and let's see what else I got here. Egyptian tomb paintings, uh, from a place called Mari in Southeast Syria that shows different kinds of garments and they, they were, ornately stitched uh the mari garments which uh anybody who's studied mari that's m-a-r-i uh if you uh study that you're going to find that there's a lot of similarities in Mm -hmm. their culture and what we find in the bible and so they actually had more of like the patchwork um that i think that's what i think of when i think of joseph's coat is that patchwork with the many colors uh it's probably because i read joseph's grandma had a joseph's comic book when i was a kid Oh, that's and cool. there was a red corduroy patchwork quilt that stayed on the couch. I don't know if you remember that. It was always there. <laughs> and so while I'm reading this comic book, this is what I'm looking at. And, um, you know, and things like that impact the way we, re- we read the Bible. And it's just for me, it's kind of cool that I actually know what it was that impacted. Because uh, most of the time, these things just kind of float by and mm-hmm. we don't realize that we're doing it. So... He gets this ornamental tunic. Um, like I said, we've got some some ancient uh, ideas about what that may have looked like. And, and now, didn't you say the Hebrew there is it? It typically translates as um, a coat that goes to the hands and feet. Uh, yeah, it would have like it has long sleeves and mm-hmm. the palm of the hand or the sole of the feet, um, and it can also mean striped. So we have that aspect too. Uh, but, you know, these are men writing it. If a woman would have written this, you would have had the full <laughs> breakdown. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, I know we aren't supposed to say things like that, but it's true. Um, so we start out with uh, he's 17, and that's an important factor because that's going to help us understand some of his interactions with his brothers. Mm hmm. And I think this is one of the reasons why we tend to give him a free pass sometimes when uh, the attitude, because I don't think any of us who've ever dealt with a 17-year-old boy have missed the attitude. I mean, it's just in your face. You say there's there's a certain level of hubris that comes at that age. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And, And 
you kind of expect it. And I, I, I think if anyone's ever worked with boys, you kind of go, uh, yeah, he, he's feeling his oats and we're going to. Well, and, and, you know, it's like, you know, we used to haul hay and, and Uncle Earl would bring some of the kids from, from high school where mm-hmm. he was teaching out and they, you know, we have to tell everyone, hey, slow down. Because they would try to start competing, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow. We can't get through the whole day. <laughs> Slow down. we got to get through the whole day. We want to make sure no one gets hurt. No you know. stroke. Yep. So. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, I actually enjoyed that because I was always, because I started hauling hay with them at eight. And so mm-hmm. I, I knew what we were in for. And I weighed like, you know, 70 pounds until my senior year. And so, yeah, they would come out and, oh, look, we're hauling hay. And then at the end of the day, I'm still going and they're dying. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just to say, I have seen the 17-year-old attitude. I, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so his brothers are obviously upset that dad has a favorite. Um, that's just normal. I think even in families where there's healthy, good functional relationships, when one sibling seems to be the favorite in that moment, Mm-hmm. Even if there is a fairness overall, uh, it, it's still hard. And matter of fact, the the brothers, four, three times the Bible says they hated him. Yeah. I mean, like straight up, they, drive it home, they hate him. And it's interesting that they hate Joseph. They don't have seem to have much animosity towards her father. It, it's all directed at their brother. Yeah, it's. Well, it's kind of funny because there is in, there's a footnote in the study Bible. I can't find it right now, but it was basically that, you know, they, it says they couldn't even say a kind word to him. Um, and it, it basically it says, or it's possible it could be read. They couldn't even say shalom to him. Like they couldn't mm-hmm. even ge- greet him properly. Yeah. I, I, that's, that makes sense because I mean, I mean, they're getting ready to kill him. I mean, how, how mad are they? Um, you know, I might've, hung you from the bunk bed by your underwear once but i never attempted to kill you no, so. no. <laughs> so. okay so so they, they they have a plot to kill him and then uh which one is it is it um okay well we need to back up because first he tells them of the dreams oh right yeah let's talk about that Sorry. yeah so he tells his brothers and this is uh genesis 37 5 once joseph had a dream which he told to his brothers and they hated him even more i mean seriously guys don't do this and he said to them hear the dream that i have dreamed there we were binding sheaves in the field when suddenly my sheaf stood up and remained upright. And then your sheaves gathered around and bowed low to my sheaf. And the brothers answered, do you mean to reign over us? Do you mean to rule over us? And they hated him even more for this talk about his dreams. So that's dream number one. Uh, first of all, we can be glad Freud wasn't interpreting it. But the fact that... Um, the brothers immediately say, hey, this is what it means. And Joseph doesn't interpret it. Right. The brothers do. So there's this set language of uh, imagery and archetypal understanding that's already present in the culture. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably what makes Pharaoh. And I'm, yeah, I know I'm jumping ahead here, but I think most of us know the story. I'm not, there's no spoilers here. Um, when Pharaoh needs somebody to interpret his dream, that it's more frustrating to him that nobody can. That would make sense. So, so then the, the second dream he has, and uh, this is verse nine. He says, look, I've had another dream. Okay. Brothers, one dream, tell the brothers, brothers hate you. So let's go back and tell them a second one. Well, I mean, if he is 17, you kind of get that <laughs> attitude of like, well, 
you yeah. know what? You you can you can hate me all you want, and you know the haters gonna hate business. You know, like <laughs> right? You know, it, and I hate to use that phrase because it sounds cheesy. Like I, I feel like a, I feel like I'm trying to because be youth, you're not 17 anymore. Yeah, I feel yeah, and I feel like I'm trying to be a youth pastor saying it that way. But that but that's kind of the attitude of we're just gonna like, uh, you know, keep my head up, keep going because. God told me and yeah yeah and the thing is the the what's interesting is I don't think it's ever clarified that God sent him these dreams um I don't think it's attributed to any other source right but how does Joseph even know so because we have dreams being sent the whole time uh this is part of their culture so how can we trust a dream and matter of fact uh Throughout um, the Middle East, there's this idea that unless you had a dream seven times, then it wasn't going to happen. It was that, that seventh time that just kind of drilled at home and said, yes, this is definitely a prophetic dream. Hmm. So I did not know that. I, I didn't either until I, I read some of the Jewish commentary. Okay. Um, so this other dream that he has, verse nine, and he says, look, I've had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told this to his father and brothers, his father berated him. What, he said, is this dream you have, what is this dream you have dreamed? Are we to come, I and your mother, which is interesting because his mom's dead, and your um, brothers and bow low to the ground. So his brothers were wrought up at him, and his father kept the matter in his mind. This is our, this is, oh my, there's so much going on here. Okay. So, number one, he has a dream that this time it includes his mom and his dad. So, his, his mom's dead. Mm-hmm. So, this is, one option is that he's actually having the dreams before she dies. Mm-hmm. And because we, we talked about that chronological order is... Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we don't really, yeah, the timeline's a, a mess and we, we don't know when exactly things happen. Yeah, but we do know definitely she is dead by the time they go to Egypt. Sure. So... This dream can never be specifically, literally fulfilled. So there's that's kind of interesting that there is that disparity. Uh, this hacks the brothers off more. But this final line, and the father kept the matter in his mind. Now, this actually reminds us of another passage in the Bible, but it's New Testament. And I'm just wondering if it, if it clicked with you. Are you talking about Mary? Mm-hmm. Where she, uh, she kept pondered she, these things in her heart. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I, I do wonder too, if there is, if there's some kind of Pharaoh imagery in there, talking about the sun bowing down and maybe Jacob's missing the, the mark about the sun being him and the moon being the mother. Well, Joseph. And so I'm, I've, I was. I don't know. Like I, I didn't have a chance to jump into any of that. Well, uh, Joseph does make the statement, "I'm Pharaoh's father," right? And so th- it could be uh, that that's a really good possibility. But we do know that Jacob does actually bow down to Joseph at at one point, right? And so, but again, that's where the ambiguity of the scripture kind of comes in, and you, it's like, okay, this could work. This could work. They could both work. Does one exclude the other? Right. Yeah. And, but I was just curious because you know you have, we have the sun imagery so often af- affiliated with uh, or associated with uh, with Pharaoh. Exactly. Yeah. We do have that with Pharaoh, and then Moon uh, 
in a lot of cultures is actually a mother figure. So that's the reason why Jacob immediately goes there. Sure. The other thing that um, is pointed out, and I believe this was Rashi. You'll have to forgive me if I can't remember exactly. Um, we didn't think we were going to record this many episodes, so we're just jumping in. Um, yep. So anyway, Rashi, um, I believe it was, who says that because Jacob held on to this, that he's actually wanting it to happen, that he's actually wanting Joseph to rise above his brothers. And he can't say that publicly. I mean, Jacob very much at this point, he is a peacekeeper. Mm-hmm. Keep it on the down low. We saw that at Shechem. Uh, you, you, uh, Simon and Levy, you've, you've made me dirty. You've made me stink. Uh, he's worried about the reaction of the other cities. And so that impacted his, even how he treated his own daughter. Right. And so he's trying to keep the peace on, uh, as far as visibly with the, with the sons. And I think this is one of those obligatory parental corrections that we have to give one sibling in front of the rest of them so that we don't look like we're playing favorites so right. much. Right. That makes sense. But he, but it seemed like this point in at this point in the story, the damage is already done. I, I mean, it, as far as playing favorites, yeah, it, it it really is. But at the same time, um, the this Joseph, I mean, Jacob's really trying to build. You know, he's promised God he's going to build a buy it. He's going to build a house. He's going to put this family in it, and you can't do that if the family's not unified. But mm-hmm. the family can't be unified if one parent secretly wants one to do better than the rest. And so even with this, I mean, there is this, this discord that Jacob is inadvertently uh, or maybe intentionally keeping alive. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I don't think he's trying really honestly, not we'll get to why in a little bit. Um, one of the other interesting things about Jacob's statement here, will I bow down to you? Uh that is often a sign of, I, I have, I've wronged you. And so I need to bow down and ask your forgiveness. Uh, we see that when Jacob returns to Esau. Right. And so, you know, it's almost like Jacob's asking him, where have I wronged you? I sure. haven't wronged you. I'm not going to bow down to you. Well, that makes sense. I can so, see that. And, it, it, and it's, the, the wording's mirrored there uh, from Esau. It's pulled directly from the Esau account. So... The brothers went to pasture at Shechem, which is interesting because remember Shechem was the first place that we actually see brothers acting like brothers. Yeah, and now is this also where where uh, Jacob had bought the land? Yes, the same area. Jacob had bought the land, and then the boys had gone in and Simon and Levy and had plundered the city, and uh, in defense of their sister. So that was the first time we saw a family really acting like a family. Um, so. The fact that, that Jacob goes to Shechem, there's, there's some significance to this, that, or not Jacob, that Jacob sends Joseph to Shechem. Mm-hmm. There's some significance in this. Uh, there, and I think this is kind of a literary device here that we're looking at. Go back to the place where, where siblings and brothers and sisters took care of each other. Find your brothers there. And so, might be reading a little bit much into that. Yeah, so I, I don't know that I, <laughs> I buy that, but if you want to think of it that way, go ahead. Well, I mean, I don't think it hurts the story. Yeah, well, and I don't think it contradicts. And a lot of times when we're looking at this extra stuff, you have to ask, does it contradict anything? And um, to me, that's not something that contradicts. Um, but when he gets there um, to Shechem, nobody's there. 
Right. And this is a really interesting part. I, as much as I had read different stories about Jacob, that stupid comic book, I've seen the final graphs. Uh, verse 15, uh, the end of 14, beginning of 15, I'm going to read this. It says, when he reached Shechem, a man came upon him wandering in the fields. And the man asked, what are you looking for? He answered, I'm looking for my brothers. Could you tell me where they are pasturing? The man said, they have gone from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And then, so Joseph followed his brothers and found them at Dothan. So a man, an Ish, mm-hmm. found him. There's no name. There's no explanation of why he's there. There's just this, uh, yeah, they went that away. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> all there is. Uh, now, we just saw Jacob wrestling with an Ish. And when Jacob wrestles with this Ish, we later find out that that Ish is the angel of the Lord or an embodied God. Right. And the, the Jewish commentators actually picked up on the, the presence of this Ish and the fact that he, he I mean. He's not named. Yeah. He's, he's just in the story and out of the story, just like every other time. Yeah. He's just, and, and he's like, any other time you've got somebody looking for somebody, it's like, okay, so they went here. They weren't there, so they went there. There's no, there, there, this, there's no guide, no magical guide that appears. Right. So the fact that this detail is included um, has led a lot of the Jewish commentators to actually say, this was Michael. This was an angel. Mm-hmm. And if you remember when we talked in with Isaac and Rebecca, when uh, Eleazar goes to get Rebecca and Eleazar uh, in that chapter alone has no name. And the unnamed person, the unnamed servant, the unnamed man is a representation often of the Holy Spirit. Sure. So uh, I think when you compare those together, I believe this is divine intervention, that the, that God was pointing Joseph in the, the right direction. Yeah, I can see that. So the brothers see him from afar when he starts to approach. The last time we had a place seen from afar was Abraham getting ready to offer Isaac up. Okay. And he saw the place that God was to show him from afar. Mm-hmm. And this becomes the Macomb. And we talked all about the, the Ha Macomb. And we talked about it with Jacob also. That's uh, in a previous episode. Sure. And so we have this, this tie. It has, it, it, that's going to to take us right back to the story of the binding of Isaac and the Akeda, I mean, well, which is the Akeda. Yeah. And, and so then we have the Joseph being ready to be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, you know, or killed just like Jacob or like Isaac. Sorry, I'm get my names all mixed up, but yeah, you have <laughs> Joseph ready to be sacrificed just like Isaac, um, or not sacrificed, but killed. And, then you have someone stepping in to stop it. Yes, at the very last minute. And, and there's some confusion about that. The, the idea that this, you know, this is the final story of Genesis. And so the writer at this point goes, we've got all of these major themes and major ideas, and we're going to pick them all up. We're going to wrap them all up together in this final great story. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, we see this over and over again. And so... They see him from afar. They say, here comes the dreamer. Let us kill him. And Reuben her- hears it. And Reuben, uh, he jumps in. This is one of the few times that Reuben actually jumps in and says, 
says the right thing. And he's is it really the right thing? <laughs> yes, I, I think and... it's funny. He's like, let's not kill him because after all, he's our brother. Well, let's just sell him. Well, he's not selling. He just wants to put him in the pit now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, let's just put him in the pit. Yeah, because yeah, he okay. doesn't want to shed the blood. You know, let's... that's right. That's right. I, I got the. I got. Yeah, yeah, you're thinking of Judah, right? Yeah, uh, and and it is uh, it is the right thing because the last part of verse 22 says, "Intending to save him from them and restore him to his father." So Reuben was like, "Okay, if I can just stash him away long enough for him to cool down." But the other thing is, though, the brothers were just going to put him in the pit and, and leave, leave him, him there. Because they said, let's not lay our hand. He says, you know, because he, he entices them by saying, let's not lay our hand on him ourselves. Yes. Let's let's not actually do the killing, but we'll let him starve in the pit. Uh, yeah, well, actually. Because that's what they were planning. The, where there is no water. That's the part that's included. We're going to put him in the pit where there is no water. Who else is in the desert without water? Um, Israel for Ish- a while. Ishmael. Oh, Ishmael. Okay. okay so I see. now okay. We're, we're tied back. To, to so I was Ishmael. thinking, I was thinking into Exodus, but yeah, now yeah. we're tied. Yeah, I got you. And so the the writers like we've got to get here. We have, a matter of fact, that kill him is the same word of Cain and Abel. Okay. And, and so the like I said, it's just amazing if you go through the story and you start pulling things out. And in case you missed the no water thing and the connection to Ishmael, when you get which is that is verse twenty four. When you get to verse twenty five. And they sat down to a meal, the brothers. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. Mm-hmm. So you can't miss it. And right. they, the writer wants you to see this. And Ishmael was the one who was cast out. Isaac was sacrificed. Ishmael was cast out. And so at this point, Joseph, it, it, he's, he's encompassing both those ideas of the, the killing and being cast out. And we talked about how you know, Abraham uh, was manipulated kind of the circumstance to get... Uh, he thought he was going to cast out Ishmael for a little bit, and then Ishmael was going to come back mm-hmm. and almost killed Ishmael in the process. Uh, the Bible gives us a very interesting descriptive list of things that they, that they sell. I'm not going to read it, but the point of the list is they dealt in high quality merchandise. Mm-hmm. The, these are not you know little you know tinkers running around the edge of the the country. They they have got good quality. Um, materials and this is the reason why when they take joseph into egypt he's going to end up in potiphar's house yeah so he he's there's a reason there and i love the fact that you kind kind of see this makes sense right so um so this is when judah says hey we don't have anything to gain this is really isn't helping us out to kill him yeah so why don't we just sell him yeah and because that's much better. I mean, I, I mean it is, but it isn't. I mean, at least he's alive, but at the same time, you're like, nah, well, we'll sell him into slavery, because, you know, that seems like a merciful way okay, to go. Okay, well, go back to Jacob and Esau when they come together uh, at the first moment. They, they meet after um, Jacob coming back from Laban, and he calls Esau my lord, and he, he wants to be a servant, and he offers to serve Esau, and all of the, mm-hmm. the, the, this abject humility and that's the beginning of this theme that's going to go through the rest of um the rest of genesis it's better to live and be a servant than it is to die okay that makes sense and which yeah especially when you realize you're going right into exodus and so (laughs) and we even see that picked up in the book of esther it's better to live as a servant than to die 
Okay. I, I mean, so. and, yeah, I, I definitely will. Uh, I can I can see how that theme definitely connects to everything. Yeah. Uh, well, and there I think there's probably something we could pick up as Christians and, and run with there, but we we won't. Uh, You're not talking about any kind of semi-political statements. No, or, I was just thinking no. servant to all, and you know, first and last, and you know, being a decent person. And, yep, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. So I I thought it was interesting. They sell um, Joseph for twenty pieces of silver. Yeah specifically in the text and so and then by the time then you're talking about comparing this to jesus uh you know an inflation guy has jesus up to 30 apparently but yeah you know that's well and the thing is we can follow we can follow the the inflation we have enough records it's because what a lot of people don't realize about a lot of the archaeological records that survived there all this writing and math system was developed for one thing keep track of business yeah yeah Yeah, accounting business transactions all of that so we know oh yeah the the earliest yeah the earliest tablets we have are are for people to keep track of cattle and and property rights and yeah so yeah it's it it is pretty interesting that that's you know we we have this great tool and what do we use it for yeah it's not for our our cows yeah it it was not for writing the myths and the epics and the poetry it was really for counting cows um that could be a show. Okay, never mind. It's um, like a parody band. <laughs> but uh, we actually, uh, that specific number comes from Hammurabi. So, you know, pretty well attested to, not much in dispute. Um, this type of slavery, again, we have lots of records that Egypt, they even had um, Asian slaves that were brought into Egypt and mm-hmm. from all over different parts of Africa and, and Europe. So Egypt really was slave trave central and so it would not be uncommon that they would have bought joseph and he would you know whatever he's just part of the crowd now so uh well and and buying and selling slaves at at the time was not uncommon for pretty much any place mm -hmm. in the world it well and what's yeah it it was pretty uh, yeah and that's a whole uh, hotbed to- uh, topic. Maybe we'll cover that in a Patreon Hot special. Button. Yeah. Different. Okay, sure. <laughs> so, okay, but there is something positive in, uh, in Judah's speech there. Because for the first time, Judah is not, he's the, um, out of all the siblings, he's the first one not to recognize the halves. He's, he's our brother. There's no halves. There's no... Uh, well, he's not really my brother, because remember when Abraham talked about Sarah, she's, she's, yeah, she's my sister, but she's the sister from my father, not my mother, so it's okay. And so before this, this idea that your sibling wasn't really your sibling unless you shared a mother, mm-hmm. now Jude is saying, hey, we can have the same father and still be the same, same, uh, be siblings from the same family. Okay. And so that is actually progress, even though it seems it seems like one of those things that shouldn't have to be spelled out. Is well, that we, kind of what you're saying? Well, and you know, we we grew up in a family with halves, and um, my uh, uh, extended family, not well, mom's brothers and sisters were were. Uh, she had a brother and a sister who right. were halves, um, but we did not know this. I right. mean, that was just whatever. There, it, it was never addressed. Yeah, they were just part of the family, and just like any other part of the family. Yeah, so we don't, we don't even. Don't even really recognize it. 
So Reuben goes back to the pit. He's going to he's going to rescue Joseph. Uh, Joseph isn't there. And because evidently the brothers did this without, you know, acknowledging him. And Reuben has a meltdown. And uh, but it's very interesting. His his response is uh, now the boy is gone. What am I going to do? Right there. There's no. Oh, no, they've killed him. How horrible. They shouldn't have done this. It's me, me, me. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I, I have this image of uh, the movie Hook. What about me? What about what about me? What about Smee? Smee? And so, <laughs> but, okay, so here is the key 100% turning point of the story that we've got to hang on to or next week's episode is not going to make as much sense as you're going to want it to. Well, is this, okay, so Judah goes, uh, no, I'm sorry, Reuben goes back to the pit, finds the pit's empty. They don't, he, he doesn't know what's going on, what they did with Joseph. And so the solution is to take his coat. Is well, this where you're talking about? Well, okay, and it's not Reuben who does it, because it says, after Reuben says this, then they. So right. now we're going plural. So now we're back to the brothers as a unit. I didn't say Reuben's solution, but okay. I said the solution. Well, I just want to clarify. Yeah. The solution was to, you know, take his take his coat, kill a goat. Kill a goat. Kill a goat. Dip the coat in his blood in the goat's blood and then return it to um Jacob. Jacob. There's so many <laughs> names. Uh to turn take it to Jacob and say, "Hey, can and basically it's the can you identify this? Mm-hmm. If you can identify this, then you know, Please identify. Yeah. Or please examine. Please yeah. Please examine. This is this must be our our brother's coat, and we're going to present this as evidence that he was killed by a wild animal. And now, is this is this where we want to talk about the uh, the shepherds and where if a sheep's killed by a wild animal? We can't. Yeah, let's go. Let's add that in because, uh, it, you know, when you hired people to watch your sheep, you know, if you're uh, if you own sheep and you don't have time to watch them 24 7 obviously and you have a hireling who if a sheep's lost on their watch it's up to you know if it's killed by a wild animal it's up to the the hireling to bring the bones and the whatever remains of the sheep before the the owner to say examine these to see if they were killed by a person or if they were killed by a wild animal and because you could, I mean, you can tell if someone uses a knife to strip bones or if it's done by just an animal trying to eat whatever it can pick off. Well, and even tearing skin, uh, that's, mm-hmm. and I, you know, if you've never had the um, blessing of getting to examine the remains of, of an animal, uh, you know, when you see an animal that has been savaged by another animal, it, there's, there's no doubt. Right. There, there just, there's just none. Uh, and the, it's because now you got me thinking there's there's another connection here that I'm going to have to look up between recording this episode and next episode, because uh, Hosea actually talks about how Jesus will return even for the two legs and the piece of an ear. And um, that the idea that a shepherd would put their life on the line for that. Well, I mean, of course, Hosea is not talking about Jesus. He's talking about God. But then we get into the whole shepherd thing. And sure. um, so. Hosea is very specific. You know, you've got to find that. You don't leave any part of the, it's not just the lost sheep. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's 
any part of the sheep mm-hmm. that might be lost. And so we really are, we're moving into the shepherd um, metaphor and symbolism that's going to carry over, I mean, through Jesus, but I mean, we obviously see it with David a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And this idea of care, and I think people don't realize how much, um, you know, these sheep, they weren't like we do sheep today. Right. They they aren't out in the back 40, you drive the pickup through. Yeah, they're all still Count here. Count make sure they're still okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're right there by your tents when you're sleeping. If you're in a tent, um, mm-hmm. you know each of them. You can look at their faces and, oh, yeah, that's, that's Molly, Sam, and Drew. My apologies, Molly, Sam, and Drew, if you're listening. Uh, but, you know, that's... Um, they... There's a certain connection that that we miss, um, but I, this also connects us back to the Akeda mm-hmm. uh, and where where's the lamb? Where, where's the sheep for the slaughter? And uh, you know we wind up having a ram there actually. And then, but we have something kind of also subversive there too, is because in the Akeda there's there's the sacrifice where, where we didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, Reuben returning, and then where he was expecting something, it's gone. Uh-huh. I mean, so you have kind of a flipping of, <laughs> and, of things. But we also have the lamb, uh, the kid, the goat being killed on behalf of Isaac. And I mean, sorry, Joseph. Now I've got mixing up the line, mm-hmm. the names. Uh, and so the, the kid is kind of killed in his place, mm-hmm. just like we had with Isaac. Yep. So there's this, you can start to see that this storyteller is really good. Yeah. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't get to be this good of a storyteller overnight. And I say that as someone who's written books and read a lot, lot more. Mm-hmm. But to tie all these things in, it, it's, it's done so well. And I don't think we appreciate how well it's done. Um, but when they show this to, to Jacob, I, his reaction... He recognized it, and he said, My son's tunic, a savage beast, devoured him. Joseph was torn by a beast. Jacob rent his clothes, put sackcloth on his loins, observed mourning for his son many days. All of his sons and daughters sought to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, saying, No, I will, do, no, I will go down mourning to my son in Sheol. Thus his father bewailed him. Now, where was this dad for Dina? Right. I, this 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 is the reason why the story of Dina is so important because you need to see that contrast and you need to see that that Jacob there there's more going on to him there, there there's some depth and dimension that we kind of miss and he refused to be comforted because if you receive comfort then he's accepting that Joseph is really dead mm-hmm. and when we get to Reuben's speech in in Egypt it it sounds like Jacob has always kind of been holding out a little hope that there, there's something in him that's like, maybe he's alive. Mm-hmm. So he refuses to be comforted. I think it's also interesting that he is comforted by his daughters. Dina's the only daughter named. Mm-hmm. So we've got that interesting question. Were there girls? Were there more daughters than just Dina? Mm-hmm. Or are they discussing the, the daughters-in-law? So there, there's kind of that question. And this is the reason why you've got to have Dina in here to, to see how Jacob's going to progress and how, you know, 
to make you ask even that question, is Tina the kind of person that even after all of this, she was there to comfort her father? Right. And these, these, these things, they all play, but if we read through our Bible and that little standard, oh, I gotta read a chapter every day, you're going to miss it. Yeah. You're going to totally miss it. But I, I do want to say, hang on to that phrase. Please identify, please examine, because when we come back next time, we're, and we should probably go ahead and put a little note out here because next week when we come in, we're actually going to be talking about Genesis 30, um, 37, sorry, 38, chapter 38. Um, and this is the story of Tamar and Judah. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be explicit. There's just no way to get around it. Uh, and it, this is kind of like a little interlude in the, in the Joseph story. Because it's like we're all caught up in the fate of Joseph. He gets sent down to Egypt, and now we're going to go catch up on you know this subplot or something else going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. this is. But but there's several years that pass between the time that Joseph goes to Egypt. So there's lots of stuff that happens. What you mean? It all didn't happen back to back in a space of yeah. It's about you know they did. This is an afternoon. This is this is just a regular afternoon for them. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, well, and I think that's one of the things that we have to watch out for uh, when we condense all this down. Uh, we start to to think that, oh, God's moving real quick. He's doing everything at a fast pace. Mm-hmm. And so when we say a prayer and we start to ask God to answer our prayers, it could be 40 years. This well, has been known to happen. <laughs> yeah, and, well, and the, the other thing is it, when we read it all back to back really quickly, it kind of has develops a, a feel of being like kind of like a church play. Yeah. And it really well, it becomes propaganda. It, out. it becomes propaganda. It, it stops being transformative. It, it it stops it's it takes the artistry out of it. It re- well, and, and I think the artistry and, is what makes it transformative. And and that's yeah, like you're talking about just being a masterful storyteller in the in the writing. So. Well, and I almost forgot to point out one thing. This is our first mention of Sheol. Mm-hmm. Uh in all the scriptures this is the first time we get an idea that there is an afterlife. And that's important because I think that's even part of Jacob's hope that if there is an afterlife, then we're, we're going to, um, there's a chance to see Joseph again. But well, this, this first mention of Sheol, but doesn't, uh, isn't there a mention of being gathered to, to the fathers when other, when Abraham died and said he was gathered to his fathers? Yeah. But we, we don't really have a ge- geography for that. We really, that, that still could be very metaphorical as in, you know, whatever is out there. Uh, so I mean, the, what I'm saying, there's not, Sheol starts to become a specific place. Okay. It, it's got geography. It's got depth. It's got scope. It actually has people in it. Um, Abraham's bosom, we still aren't sure. And a matter of fact, Sheol never really gets clarified. Uh, I always, I always kind of saw it uh, and, and I could be wrong, but from what I've seen, I always kind of thought of it as just kind of a general term for the land of the dead. It, it pretty much is. And um so and again that that's still pretty vague but well joe well job 30 and 23 basically says everyone who's living is going to end up in sheol mm-hmm. so we don't know who that is we definitely know that some some evil people end up there in torment uh that there's things going on happening uh but david lives there in peace samuel whenever he the witch of indoor calls him up she calls him up from the land of sheol and um it's also included with this pit of destruction idea. So the, the, the most 
accessible idea of it is that possibly Sheol's a place that there's a a divider in. Right. That there's a divider in uh, between the good and the bad. And this is led to a lot of speculation that honestly, there's no great answer for what Sheol is or how it plays into New Testament theology. Well, I, I personally think once we get out of the, you know, once we die, we kind of go beyond what, you know, we kind of exist uh, without and or beyond the veil and we get to see how the universe actually works. Mm-hmm. And I think we have some, like, you know, we have some very vague images of what the world looks like and how it functions, how the universe functions apart from what we consider the necessary rules of physics and, you know, well, and the way, the way we're used to things operating. And, and so I, I think, I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be astonished Oh, once it happens, I, I think we're going to be, yeah, it's going to be one of those things. It's like everything I thought that it was supposed to be or how it was supposed to happen is going to wind up not happening at all. And it's going to be something so much beyond what we expected. Or they're going to, or they're going to happen, but they're going to happen in a way that we didn't right. think was, <laughs> that we didn't was think possible. was possible. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. So when we talk about Sheol, um, the main reason I bring this up is that's not automatically hell. Sure, and, and I think that people need to remember, uh, especially Christians, when we're reading this, this doesn't necessarily mean hell. Uh, one way to look at it, too, is that it could be where people before Christ were, um, where they kind of waited for that redemptive act. Uh, I'm not sure how correct this is, but we do know that at the death of Christ, I mean, what he tells the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul says, you know, to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And so we want to, there is some kind of um, tension between these ideas, because in the Jewish theology, you weren't going to heaven, you were going to be restored to the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. And so, and we even get into that in the New Testament with the new heaven and the new earth, and that we're going to still be here. So that is a huge question that we would need to study more to really get into but yeah, yeah. but i did want readers to realize shield's not hell well and hell hell's actually it's an imported word right um it it comes from the the its actual origins is in the norwegian uh folklore yeah and that's and we actually get the word and a lot of imported imagery of hell <laughs> uh from that but that's a whole nother topic um yeah, but I just I even, want to throw that out there. Enjoy looking that one up until <laughs> Yeah, because even Hades, which is the Greek word, gets gets translated a lot for hell. Yeah, it, and she, and Sheol in some translations. Mm-hmm. I've seen uh Sheol uh translated as hell in some translations of the Bible. Yeah, because Hades it, it was not hell like we think of it. Thank you. Uh that medieval. would be Tartarus. <laughs> would be that would be, <laughs> that would yes. be the one that would be the hell like we think of. <laughs> right. So, the, so. This is where all of our terminology gets kind of mixed up and why we've got to be careful with the language we use. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so anyway, but so that's, yeah. that's what I've got for this week. Yeah, sounds good. Well, uh, <laughs> that, we kind of went way afield at the end, but thank you. Uh, so thanks for, tun- for tuning in. Thanks for, I, I say tuning in. I, I don't know. Is that real? I mean, it's kind of like a. Sure. It's an old timey phrase, I guess. But same time, same place next week. Yeah, same bat time, <laughs> same bat channel. But um yes, thank you for joining us. Uh whether you be on YouTube or on the podcast. 
we enjoy it. We hope you are too. If you like what you heard, uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. And if you really like what you heard, feel free to hit up patreon.com. We won't complain. That's, uh, ra- that's patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. Mm-hmm. And that Raven Creek SC, you can apply that to just about any place. There's social media and find us. And also you can go to ravencreeksc.com for Raven Creek Social Club. And uh, we'll be glad to see you there. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye. Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.